Okay, welcome back to the Lockdown Syracuse podcast. Tim and Tyler here with you as we are every single weekday on Lockdown Syracuse, your only daily Syracuse podcast out there. And we have a special guest on the line today. James Zuba from Noon's Magician joins us right now. And James, we thank you for the time. I know you're out in New York City dealing with the craziness right now. And stay safe out there. Everyone listening, stay safe and make sure you're doing the right things during this uncertain time here. But we got a little bit of a distraction for you today. And we're going to talk about the state of the Syracuse program. Break this into two days and two parts here with James. But James, let's start out and just talk about last week a little bit. The transfer situation that came out. Three guys entered the portal on top of Brendan Paul, who we kind of already knew was in the portal. What was your initial reaction and takeaways to that? Yeah, yeah. And first, I want to apologize to you guys because we were supposed to do this last week. And I'm currently in, uh, in New York City, which is the, the coronavirus hotbed right now in the U.S. But I uh, just want to say thanks for having me on and apologize for the delay. But no apologies to... necessary, yeah. James. Listen, <laughs> I, think, I think this is the greatest excuse in the world right now. Okay. Yeah, you got to pass. <laughs> if you've got the greatest excuse in the world, you got to use it. Okay. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. We got a lot going down in the city and we're like in lockdown down here. So it's been interesting times. But uh, yeah, you know, as for the guards, um, you know, as, as mentioned, you know, Howard Washington, Jalen Carey, and Bryson Goodine all transferring and. Uh, I, I don't think I expected all three of them to transfer, uh, admittedly. Um, not not so surprised with, with Jalen and Howie. Um, I, I think Bryson was probably the most, I guess, surprising. I wasn't totally shocked there. But, um, you know, when you, you lose all three, it definitely hurts the depth, right? And I think people were, were really concerned about it. Um, you know, I think people were, were thinking there's some, there's some problems with the program. And, it, you know, I mean, maybe that could be, but. I think it would be more alarming if one of the, the the starters transferred, right? So, I mean, when you look at it, you still got Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard. Both of those guys logged heavy minutes at the guard spot this year. Both of those guys are going back. So, it, at least you know that you have the starters back for next year, uh, but your depth does take a hit. You know, you figure if any one of those three guys stayed, that would have helped with the depth tremendously at the guard spot. And of course, you got Kadari Richmond coming in next year, so now you only have three guards. But um, you know, so, somewhat surprised that, that all three guys transferred. But on the whole, it definitely hurts the depth for next year. I think the interesting thing there with all the transfers is that next season there are going to be, barring any more transfers, and the way that things have kind of shaped out, what we're seeing on Twitter and everything like that, there might be more centers on this team than guards next year, which to me I find a little bit alarming. But that's a whole nother can of worms that we'll dive into later. I think it would be a, the biggest, biggest thing that would kind of say this program is in the toilet right now would be if Buddy Behan transferred, which thank God didn't happen. That, that, that's the only reason I would put up for alarm that this program is really, really heading downhill. But that did not happen, obviously. But how would you... I mean, you're a guy, you're, you're from the Syracuse area. You, you've been around this team for, for a while I mean, if you on a one to ten scale right now, where would you put this program? Yeah, it's tough to say. If Buddy Beheim transferred to, to, from the program, I think that'd be That's a, one. a lot larger issues. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some issues at home, but obviously we, we don't have that. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's hard to put a number on on something like that, but the the program is it's been so up and down over the, really the past decade because you could argue. And I think Sean Keeley made this point on Twitter like a long time ago, but he said it, you could, you could theoretically rank 
the last decade of Jim Beheim's career his best and also his worst. And you could both yeah. be, you could be right on both. Yeah. You know, so it's been so interesting when you look at the postseason success. Obviously, we know 2013, uh, 2016 Final Fours, you know, the 2018 Sweet 16. Um, and even back, you know, earlier, you had the, the Sweet 16 run in 2010. Um, 2012, you had the Elite Eight. So you had these tournament runs. But also in more recent history, you haven't had the regular seasons that you would expect out of a Syracuse team. So it's, you know, it's really hard to put a number on it or how you could rank the program. But, you know, you're, you're dealing with these, these regular seasons that haven't quite lived up to, you know, the, the Syracuse program has in decades past. But yet you've had the, the postseason runs in the tournament when Syracuse does get in. Yeah, it's it's odd. And I think you hit on it there because when you look at the regular season numbers and just looking at it kind of from that Tyler Ennis team and from that first year in the ACC on, it's now six seasons where they've basically been outside the top six in the ACC, kind of flirting with the bubble. And if you talk to someone who's maybe a little bit younger, they might consider Syracuse basketball to be known for being on the bubble. But then they're also known for being that team you don't want to play in March. So it's a tough thing to sort of Mm -hmm. balance because, as you said, Bayheim has gotten it done in the postseason. I mean, two Final Fours in the past eight years is still pretty solid at the end of the day. No doubt. And I think to the younger kids now coming up, I don't, I don't know if they really fully understand what Syracuse is as a program because, you know, you're dealing with Syracuse and the ACC for, for so many years. Syracuse is in the Big East. And, you know, the Big East is totally different now from what it was back in the day uh, when you look at all the new teams that have come in and, you know, all the teams that have left. So it's it's kind of hard, you know, to pinpoint or explain to maybe some of the younger people coming up through the ranks, like what Syracuse is. But certainly now they have that image as like perennial bubble team and also team that you don't want to face in March with that zone and, you know, Syracuse getting hot in March. Um, and we, we saw Syracuse, you know, play kind of well in that, that last North Carolina game. I'm not going to go as far as to say they would have made a tournament or even beat Louisville the next night, but you know, they've always been a dangerous team in March. And once you have that 2-3 zone, everybody knows it's really tough to turn around on a 48-hour notice and go up against that zone in the tournament. But isn't that part of the larger problem that we're looking at now? Because when you look at this team, I mean, the the final years of the Big East run and then that first year in the ACC, we're talking about a team that was perennially mm-hmm. a top-four seed and always in the top 10 at some point during the season. And again, mm-hmm. it's one thing to be recruiting if Syracuse were an NBA team you can go off of legacy and maybe draw people but for kids sure I mean that's who you have to bring in you have to bring in kids you're not bringing in guys who really were basketball conscience during those big east days and this is what Syracuse is now they're a team that has missed the tournament a couple of the last five or so years and I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, you're trying to get kids to come in, and, and that's what they know them as. They don't know them as this top four seed perennially. Isn't that part of the larger problem? I, I definitely think it speaks to the larger problem. You know, uh, success begets more success. You know, that's that's the old saying, right? In, in this case, you know, the the kids coming up now, they they might know Syracuse from the 2013 or 2016 Final Four, um, but they all, you know, as as we mentioned, they're they're thinking of Syracuse as really this bubble team. Uh, when you look at a guy like, like C.J. Fair, he came to Syracuse and he idolized Carmelo Anthony from that 0-3 run. I don't know that you have that same effect on kids today 
growing up, you know, and especially when you have, you know, you're coming in and every kid's goal is to get to the NBA, right? Every kid thinks they're coming up and going to the NBA. Um, you know, there's all sorts of reasons. I, I think, you know, going to Syracuse and playing the zone, I think that kind of works against you a little bit if you're a recruit. Um, but yeah, certainly the, the kids coming up today, they, they don't see Syracuse in the same light as maybe someone like a CJ Fair did, um, you know, even just, you know, seven, eight years ago. So past six seasons now, I ran some numbers and it was kind of eye-opening because they've lost 84 games now in the past six years, at least 13 losses in the last six seasons. And the six seasons before that, kind of that era we're talking about where they were consistently in a top four in the conference, Big East, end of that era, 09 to 14, they lost exactly half those games, 42 games. And when you look at some of the teams that are kind of in that neighborhood of 84 losses in the past six seasons, it's Clemson who has 84, NC State has 84, Virginia Tech 85. Miami, who's an ACC school that maybe you'd think is having a down year, they have 77 losses. Notre Dame, 74. So it's a company that is not consistent with the caliber program Syracuse is. Why do you think yeah. the regular season dip has happened in this past six seasons? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, one, you know, right, right, you know, right from the get-go, the transfer from the Big East to the ACC. You know, obviously Syracuse had that great first season, the 25-0 and start. But it's, it's going to be tough for any school to join a new league and just take over that league. Um, you know, when you're joining the ACC, you're always going to have Duke and North Carolina at the top. You know, I know this year was kind of an aberration with North Carolina, but you're going to be going up against those guys, you know, in recruiting battles and in the league. Uh, you've got Virginia now, who's very good, who's won a national title. And you've got, you know, like a Florida State, you know, Leonard Hamilton has a really good thing going in Tallahassee. So those are sort of the programs that you're competing against now, and it's going to be tough for any team to come in and, and join a new league and have success. Uh, but when you combine that with, with the sanctions and, you know, sort of the, the, the PR stain that comes with that and all, and all sorts of things and the restrictions and on recruits and on recruiting visits and the like, uh, I think that adds to it. And even in more recent history, I think losing Hopkins, you know, I think that really hurts. That's been talked about a lot. Um, you know, he was a guy that could really like, you know, he could talk to recruits and he could sell recruits. He's a big energy guy, uh, larger than life personality. You know, he, he's really a guy that could lock up some of those recruits and bring them to a Syracuse. So I, I think for all those reasons, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to have success. I really think that there, there's a lot that can go wrong with a, with a division one program. There's a lot of room that where things can go the wrong way. Um, and that, that's just how it's broke for Syracuse. I mean, I think it's, it's very hard to, um, to maintain a certain level of success over time. You know, Mike Hopkins, I'm glad you brought him up because that is the great what if now for the next <laughs> decade and beyond, it feels like for the Syracuse program. So for you personally, where would this Syracuse team be now? And maybe well, let's also evaluate where they would be in another five years if Hopkins was the actual oh, successor to what was going to happen. Oh, no. Uh, Am I opening up too big of a can of worms right here? (laughs) We could go down a rabbit hole here. (laughs) Once you open up Pandora's box, you can't close it. Next question is Um, where would they be if Darius (laughs) Baisley came? (laughs) (laughs) I think – We wouldn't be having a state of the program. That's where they'd be. Yeah, for sure. It's it's so hard to say. Um, You know, I think when when Hopkins took over for Bayheim. And the 2015-16 year, he went four and five, right? And 
Um, you, you know, Beheim made the good point back then. He goes, you know, this wasn't his team. It was my team. And, you know, he's talking to my players and you're taking on sort of a different role going from assistant to head coach and on short notice like that. Um, we, we've seen what, what he could do out in Washington. Uh, I don't know that it's fair to say that he would have done everything he would have done at Syracuse that he's done at Washington. Um, but, you know, he's had success this past year was, was pretty rough for him. I think losing a guy like quad a green really hurt them. They didn't really have a floor general, even though they had those, those two talented freshmen. Um, but, but it's, it's impossible to say, you know, I mean, it could have gone either way. I mean, I could see him taking over that head spot and, and, you know, really appealing to recruits and all those sorts of things. But at the same time, um, you know, Syracuse has always had a, a hall of fame college basketball coach. I think that's, that's had some luster for a long time. And obviously when you have a new guy taking over a program, there's some uncertainty there. So um, it, it's, it's really hard to say, but, you know, my, my best guess is, you know, it would have been turbulent for a few years after, you know, let's say Hopkins took over when, when he was supposed to. Uh, I think it would have been probably a little bit of tough sledding for a couple of years, but I think Hop would have found his footing eventually at Syracuse. Yeah, maybe Isaiah Stewart would be on a Syracuse team too, but I guess that's yeah, and so so night. much changes with that, right? Yeah, you know, there, totally. there's so many different parts of you know, there's so many different parts of like the history there that would change. Maybe Isaiah Stewart comes, maybe another recruit doesn't come, you know, that sort of thing. Who knows? Butterfly maybe he effect, was yeah. still upset that Jim Beheim didn't take that photo in eighth grade or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. I guess, I guess the the million dollar question here is how does this thing turn around in the regular season? Because as we've talked about, the postseason has been fine, but in order to get back to where they were in the regular season, and a lot of people point to Dior Johnson as kind of that light at the end of the tunnel in 2022, and maybe that's the makings of a really it's strong a long tunnel there. you got to drive down. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you of the camp that Dior can kind of get this thing back on the tracks, or is there anything else that maybe is in your head that could start more of a turnaround here in the regular season? I don't know that we're going to see a complete turnaround. I mean, I think it's going to be tough, you know, for Syracuse to get back to that level that they were at, you know, maybe let's say in like the mid 2000s or um, the early 2010s. I think that's going to be really tough. Um, You know, I think next year it really depends on, you know, like if Elijah Hughes comes back, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case obviously, but uh, I, I think it's going to be tough for Syracuse to win games next year. And then, you know, it depends who they bring in in that 2021 class. I think the good news is for, for somebody like Dior is, you know, you, you proved right there that you could still recruit, that you could still get that caliber of a player. And now sometimes when you get those guys, there's other guys that follow suit with that. Um, there's going to be one of, you know, there's going to want to be guys that they're going to want to come in and they're going to want to play with somebody like Dior. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's going to be really tough for Syracuse to get back to that level. And, you know, I mean, the, the elephant in the room is what happens with Jim Beheim. You know, how many more years is he going to stick around? Um, is he going to stay? You know, theoretically, I know everybody thinks that once once Buddy is done, they think Jim's going to step away. But, you know, that next year he's got a guy like Dior coming in. So so I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's that's the biggest question, right, is if, if Beheim does step away or when he does step away, who's going to be that next head coach? You know, I, I think that's really where what's what's going to be telling. So back when Syracuse made the switch from the Big East to the ACC, can you kind of take me through what your 
thoughts were from that and ultimately do you think that was a good thing for the program to do <laughs> you're gonna get me in trouble with this one because i know there's the the syracuse crowd that wants <laughs> to go back to the big east but uh yeah i mean at first uh, i think it was a little bit surprising just because syracuse is a founding member of the big east and you know that's all anybody knew for the longest time was you know the big east and uh, Syracuse's long run there uh, over almost four decades. So um, it was a long, long time in, in the league. And I think it came to a little bit of a surprise, but, you know, we all kind of knew that conference realignment was happening during that time. So uh, maybe not like a total shock, but uh, I, I think long-term, I mean, I think it made sense. I think it was the right move. You know, there, there's just going to be more money available in the ACC. Um, we kind of know that, right? I mean, there's going to be more more money available with things like the ACC network and, you know, so on and so forth, the opportunities there. Um, you know, we know the, there's going to be upgrades coming to the Dome. I think those sort of things follow suit. Um, you know, I don't know that you get it to the, the same level, maybe if you're in the Big East. So uh, I do, you know, I know, I understand where the program's been, and it's easy to look at it and say, you know, well, if Syracuse stayed in the Big East, you know, they could have had more basketball wins. And, you know, may, maybe that's true. You know, maybe that is true. Maybe if Syracuse does stay in the Big East, there's an alternate history where, you know, they stay, you know, a perennial, you know, top five seed in the NCAA tournament, that sort of thing. Um, but I think, you know, given given sort of where the sanctions are, I think the program was going to take a hit a little bit either way. Um, but, you know, I do think in the long run, it, it will have been the better move to, to move to the ACC. I've always been a proponent that they should have went to the Big Ten instead because they're closer to a Great Lake than they are to a coast. That's always bothered me. (laughs) Maybe uh, swap spots with Rutgers in the Big Ten. Yeah, how about that? Or Maryland. Work out a little trade there. Come on. Yeah, (laughs) Rutgers is on the rise. They might not be having to stay in the program. Buy stock now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know what you'd rate Rutgers 1 to 10. I think it's still below Syracuse by a lot, but (laughs) – Anyway, uh, one thing that I sort of push back on when I have these discussions with people is when people start to kind of poke at the 2-3 zone, say it's outdated, because the numbers obviously suggest the contrary here, that if you look at Ken Palm's year-by-year stats defensively, it's consistently mm-hmm. inside the top 20 in defense. Now, this year was an exception, of course, and it was not a good year for the 2-3 zone, but you could say that that's just they didn't have enough length at the top of the zone and a couple other factors What's your overall feelings on the 2-3 zone as a defense and how it's kind of stood the test of time? Do you have opinions one way or the other on that? Uh, yeah, I, I have my opinions. Uh, you know, I, I like the zone. I, I think there's so much that comes with that. Uh, I think it's really smart. I believe in specialization just generally. So I think when you, you play something for 40 minutes and you do it exclusively, you're going to get really good at it. Now, now we know this past year, as you mentioned, was an exception. Um, same same sort of thing with the 2016-2017 team. You know, those were two of the worst defensive teams that, that Jim Beheim's really ever had. But I, I do believe in the zone. I, I don't know that you should maybe play it exclusively. Uh, I don't know that you should, you know, maybe play it entirely for 40 minutes. I think there's probably opportunities where, you know, you can throw a little bit of man-to-man in there just to give the opponent a different look. You know, when you think of games, you know, I think back to that Virginia game uh, two years ago at the Carrier Dome when they came in and they were just raining threes. And, you know, obviously Virginia is a great team and they went on to win the national championship. But uh, I think in a scenario like that, maybe you want to come out of the zone for a possession or two just to give them a different look. 
Uh, but but generally speaking, I, I do like it. I think it gives opponents a different look. You know, opponents are running. All of a sudden, they're running their zone offense instead of their man offense. You know, and they, that's the, the primary thing that most teams are practicing is their man-to-man offense. So now all of a sudden you're getting, um, you know, you're getting their second best offense, really. Um, so I think it's smart in that way. You force teams to sort of prepare for you instead of, you know, you're, you're preparing for them, but they're also, you know, mostly focused on the zone. So you're taking them out of what they do. So I think it's smart in that way. Um, but, you know, I just, for, for, a total, for a total of 40 minutes, I think sometimes you might get a little bit predictable. That might be the downfall of playing the zone. So you're a guy, you, you grew up with Syracuse basketball, right? Right on your hip pretty much. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not going to let you pick the, the championship team, but what, what <laughs> other team in your time with, with being a Syracuse fan has really just kind of stood out to you, whether, whether it's good or bad, which team has stood out the most yeah. to you? Yeah, the the 2009-2010 team for sure. Uh, I think that was the most complete team that Syracuse has really had. You know, I think the the 2011-2012 team, that team was deeper. Um, It might have been more talented as well. But I think when you look at one through seven on that 2009-10 team, I think that was Syracuse's best team. Uh, You know, you're looking at – you go through the lineup, but, you know, Brandon Trish, Andy Routland's at the top of the zone. Uh, you got Wes Johnson, you know, Rick Jackson and Arinze Owaku down low. That that was a really good team. And you got you got guys like Scoop Jardine and, and uh, uh, Chris Joseph off the bench. So, I mean, I think one through seven, that was Syracuse's best team. You know, they got up to number one in the country. They still they, – they didn't win the Big East tournament. They lost to, to Georgetown and Arinze went down. But they still got a number one seed. And I think it was – you know, if Arinze didn't go down, I mean, I think on paper – that was Jim Beheim's best chance to win his, his second national title. So that, that team definitely stood out. I mean, it was just such a good team. You really had different skill sets at each position, um, you know, a really good defensive team, a team that could score the ball. Uh, Wes Johnson, you know, was, was in contention for all American honors. And um, it was just a great team. It was a great, great year, great, great team. And I think that team stands out the most. All right, so that's part one of our State of the Program special with James Zuba. Part two coming up tomorrow. We're going to get a little more into some of his personal memories with Syracuse basketball. So check that out tomorrow. For Tim, for James, I'm Tyler. We will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.